Hi, this is Brett Thomas, and you're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go! Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from hockey superstar Wayne Gretzky and says, skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where it has been. And that quote has been a guiding star for our guests today, as you'll see shortly. Joining me in our Los Angeles studio is venture capital legend Brett Thomas. Now, Brett is known for sourcing amazing deals and is the visionary behind Kavoo Venture Partners, who have been crushing it in the consumer packaged good space. And when I say crushing it, here are some of the brands he's been invested in. Bulletproof, Vital Proteins, Thrive Market, Beyond Meat, and so many more. They're also involved with some of my personal favorites. Companies like Once Upon a Farm, anyone who has kids and uses those pouches uh, and has a basic level of nutrition knowledge knows that these things are generally pretty bad for you. But Once Upon a Farm is best in category by far. Uh, Kettle and Fire Bone Broth and Good Culture Cottage Cheese is another favorite of mine too. But Brett's not doing it all alone. In fact, he's assembled an all-star team of industry experts at Kavu, most notably his co-founder Rohan Oza, who is a renowned brand builder, and together they provide unparalleled and hands-on value to their amazing portfolio brands. Now, when they launched their first fund, Brett and Rohan raised uh, Rohan raised more than $150 million in under six months. There was that much interest in what these guys were doing. And prior to Kavu, Brett was the founder of Thematic Capital Partners. And before entering into the consumer investing space, he worked at a New York-based hedge fund with over $9 billion in assets under management. In case you're not impressed enough, he was a Division, Division One student athlete, was elected to Boston College's prestigious 40 under 40 list, and was recognized by four magazine as one of the top deal makers and influencers in the consumer space. In this interview, we're going to talk about what companies excite Brett the most today, his criteria when deciding what to invest in, the power of a good brand and how to create one and how to turn your business into a household name. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Brett Thomas. Brett, great to see you, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to see you, and thanks for having me, James. Well, I'm so excited to dive into all the amazing things that you've that you've done and achieved in your career. To to kick things off, can you take us right back to your your younger days? Is there a a memory or story that you recall that's so vivid for you today that record that uh, personifies and summarizes what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, in a suburb outside. Uh, typical, you know, middle class family. Um, I think growing up in, in the Midwest, uh, with Midwest values, as they always say, and, um, being grounded, um, and appreciating kind of everything you have, um, was really instrumental for me in terms of, um, as I went through life and, you know, uh, went through challenges of either success, but more importantly, failure, um, which really able to help prepare me for those moments going forward. Yeah. Hey, you can bounce back when, when failure inevitably, yep. uh, inevitably hits. What, uh, what career paths were you naturally gravitating towards when you were young? I, I had no idea. I was a very good <laughs> athlete when I was younger. Um, I always thought maybe I could be a professional, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I played tennis, uh, in college 
Um, but you know, I found myself in, in college, um, not knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up and, th- and that's okay. Right. I mean, some should people, give people a lot of confidence. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I didn't fully figure out what my passion was and I started Kavu. I think I was 34 years old. So, yeah. you know, it took me the first, you know, 30 something odd years of my life to figure that out. But, um, you know, so I, I decided to major in finance because I thought it was the most practical. I'd learned some skill sets that I guess could be applied in a lot of other various career paths as a good foundation. Um, so that it took me a moment to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that five years you spent in New York working for the hedge fund, uh, what did an average day look like? How crazy was that lifestyle? And, and what did you feel like was missing from you personally? Oh, uh, wow. Um, it was baptism by fire. I don't know. I use the analogy. Have you ever been into a dojo um, and how much pain can you take? Um, that was how I would describe it. And it's one of those experiences where, you know, in the office, crack of dawn, um, you know, you're working till late. Uh, but then you're young and you're in New York City and, you know, you're out socially and staying out late. And so it was a less sleep. And it's funny, ironic today. It's like, you know, now the studies show you need sleep. <laughs> so how in the heck people were able to operate like that back in the days? Um, but it was tough. And it, it, I also use the analogy of, you know, you're in high school and you probably had a teacher that was really, really hard on you because um, and you didn't realize at the time, but they saw potential in you. And so they mm. pushed you harder and you thought they were the meanest person in the world and the bane of your existence because... Um, why are they being so hard on me? And why is it so hard and challenging? But then 10, 15, 20 years later, you sit back and you go, oh, wow, like that person really was instrumental in, in helping me and saw something in me maybe that I didn't even see it myself and, and, and other students. That's kind of how I equate the hedge fund world is it was a very hard experience. It shaped me in many ways. And I probably didn't enjoy it as much when I was going through it. But as I sit back now and, and managing um, uh, people and a team, um, and, and investments and, you know, being a fiduciary of, of capital, I, I really appreciate, um, those learnings and, and how hard it actually was. So even though it took a few years off your life at the time, uh, it's also taught you a lot about how far out of your comfort zone and what boundaries, uh, existed for you. hundred percent. And I think I was unhealthy when I was working in a hedge fund. Um, you know, I was, um, overweight, uh, I was skinny fat as they call it. Um, I, it was very unhealthy, not a lot of sleep, uh, eating habits weren't great. Um, and, uh, it, it, it was really hard on both physically, but more so mentally, mm. um, where a lot of people put themselves through a grind, um, mm. in, in any work, but especially at that time in, you know, early two thousands, um, through 2009, when I left, it was definitely, um, a stressful time in my life. Yeah. Especially from 2007, 2009 with the financial crisis, all those things too. That, that didn't help. That made yeah. it even, even more, <laughs> even more of a, uh, an experience, but you know, again, going through something like that. Mm shaped who I am today as a, as a brand builder or investor, because, um, I've seen what happens, yeah. um, what can happen. And, you know, I think I was in college when kind of, you know, the, the dot-com bubble burst. So I, you know, had some exposure to that, but wasn't in a, a seat where you actually lived it real life. And you can see the screen where the, you know, and that was the thing about hedge funds, either made money or you lost money every day and you <laughs> went home and, and it became, you became numb to it. Yeah. Um, but going through an experience like that, where you see the world melting and going through a financial crisis and all the the jobs lost and the people's lives are affected by it, it really sticks with you. And so um, it taught me two things. One, um, to understand what risk is and, and how to kind of look ahead and not just be content with where things are today. Mm. Um, but two, it's always darkest before dawn. Mm. Um, it, it will take a moment, but this shall pass and the world will come back and things will come back. Um, and it's hard. And we saw that last year um, when, you know, the height of COVID, you know, in the spring when, specifically even the stock market had that huge correction and, and stocks were, you know, it was a 50% retracement. And, 
you know, people were fearful. People were losing their lives. People were, um, you know, quarantining. People had, we've never experienced something like this in a hundred years. And so you see the world starting to get back out there. Although this morning as I was driving here, I saw the shipping containers out on the uh, the Pacific waiting to get to port. So it's uh, like a three week delay, isn't it? Incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're clearly a super capable guy. From a mindset perspective, you, you've been able to do so much in your career now. When was the, what was that tipping point? When was the first time that you felt like you could do anything that you set your mind to, that you were much more capable than you had ever given yourself credit for previously? I always had a confidence about me and it wasn't uh, an arrogant confidence. Mm. Um, I always thought that, oh, I can just figure this out. Mm. And, you know, maybe I didn't push myself in areas where I, I thought I had no chance whatsoever, right? I mean, I, I wasn't doing, you know, um, biochemistry by any means. But in areas that I thought that were challenging, I, I never doubted myself. And I don't know if it, it was from when I was a kid playing sports, I, we will figure it out. Or if something happened in school, or I had a test. Okay, I'll figure it out. Like, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, I always had a belief in myself since I, as long as I can remember that um, I can make this work. And maybe that's just a mindset of, you know, fooling myself and, and the confidence. But I think half the, half the way in any challenge is just believing, you know, I think half, getting halfway through a challenge is just believing that you can actually do it um, and to get in that mindset. Um, and so I think that's been one thing that's always stuck with me that uh, since I can remember, I always just believe in myself and, no matter how rocky it got or how many times I failed, I've, I'll figure it out. And, and most of the time I, I did in some ways. And that attribute, I feel like it doesn't, you don't need to know what career you're going to go down as long because you can learn if you've got that growth mindset and that ability to figure it out and you've got a very strong opinion of yourself, uh, you will always make the most of whatever situation you're in. And when you are at that point when the stars align, as it sound like it did for you with Kavu, then you're able to make the most of it. And it's yep. like everything can, big yep. can happen from there. Absolutely. Um, in 2015, you launched Kavu, uh, amazing company. You've done so many cool things ever since, as we mentioned on the in the intro. Uh, what were the origins of that business, and what problem were you trying to solve? So, you know, I, I left the hedge fund space in 2009, and uh, I, I talk about this a lot. My grandfather was a very instrumental uh, part of my life growing up in Ohio, um, and he he told me lots of lessons, and um, and one of them was if your job's not your passion by the time you're 30, you should quit it immediately. And, you know, as I think back now, it was kind of ironic. He was a bathtub chemist. He invented a, a, a car wash products and he retired very early in life. And so I was like, oh, it's easy for him to say that because uh, he kind of made it in, in, as an entrepreneur. And, and um, but, you know, um, that resonated with me as I sat, found myself sitting in a hedge fund. Um, I think the financial crisis probably helped as well. I think, you know, COVID, you know, speaking in, in modern day now, I think COVID actually um, gave people a chance to step back and reflect on, you know, they see what's happened in the world and life and how quickly things can change for the better or for the worse. Um, and I think people have now taken a step back and saying, you know what, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing anymore. I want to go do something that I actually spend time or I can live anywhere I want to now, right? You don't necessarily need to live where your job is. And I want more flexibility or I want to go do an, go on adventures I've never done before because that got taken away for a while. You know, the ability to be able to travel and do the basic things we took for granted every day. Um, and so um, I literally um, was in a hedge fund and it, it wasn't about money. Um, I thought, you know, when you grow up, oh, have money. And what I quickly realized was the price that you pay or the sacrifices you made, at the end of the day, yes, you have a little bit more money in your bank account than I did when I got out of school, but that wasn't happiness. Mm. And um, for me, um, I, I wasn't happy. Um, I was lucky that I was able to, to leave my job. And so I literally uh, went in, gave my two-week notice 
Uh, I forgot about the sweet nose part. So I ended up leaving a week after my 30th birthday, but close <laughs> enough. And, you know, my wife um, was pregnant at the time. We, we were, tr- um, uh, you know, moving into our first apartment together. Um, and it was a scary, scary time. But again, even then I was like, it's, it'll work out somehow. And I didn't know how or where or what. Um, and, but the problem I wanted to solve was I wanted to build something tangible. I want to be a part of, of a brand. And I think walking through those Kmarts and Targets in the Midwest with my grandfather, and literally we would spend three hours going up and down the aisles, admiring different brands and packaging and how um, packaging draws you in as a consumer. And that if you have beautiful packaging, but the inside is not great, the engine of the car, you're not going to have repeat trial. But if your packaging is great, it will drive trial. And then you'll have consumption if the, if the engine is just as good as the, the packaging. Um, and how every invention comes from someone's problem. And, and so that was formative in me. And so I wanted to be involved in consumer. And then as my wife was pregnant at the time, just shortly thereafter, um, you know, watching how she changed, um, looking at packaging when we were feeding our newborn son and when what uh, she was feeding him, making homemade food. Um, and looking at the ingredients and the labels and scrutinizing them. And even not only what put in his body, but on his body in terms of shampoos and conditioners. That was my aha moment of there is going to be a massive secular change in how um, consumers live. And it's not going ha- to be a revolution. It's not happening tomorrow. It's going to be an, more of an evolution because you don't change consumer behavior that quickly, especially amongst the different generations. So it was really trying to be healthier. Um, and I changed my lifestyle you know, I was drinking a Coke a day and it's 40 grams of sugar and 140 calories. And I switched to buy. One of the reasons uh, I made one of my first investments in consumer and buy personally was um, I started using the product. I was like, wow, five calories, one gram of sugar, naturally sweetened, tastes great. I can drink one of these. And it was permissible indulgence. I didn't feel as guilty having some flavor or having a buy with, with lunch versus when I drank a Coke and I felt bad about it. Yeah, I guess that evolution is much more sustainable as well rather than revolution. We see a lot of those trends come and go in fitness and nutrition, but the evolution of consumer demand and, and what they actively seek out um, is interesting because it helps propel all that stuff too. Yep. Uh, you are involved in so many amazing businesses and things today. Which ones are you involved in today that excite you the most? Oh, geez. That's like saying which false one's your, ranking of your children. I mean, that's, yeah, like false, <laughs> forcing me to rank my children. Uh, to, and, um, we'll do that for the next question. Exactly. Um, you know, I, um, I enjoy, um, and again, you, you, um, my quote that you started it off with, uh, that is so true. Um, and I always kind of want to see what's next and where the world's going. Um, and not where we are today, but where I think the world's going. So I love taking a thematic approach of, okay, where's what's going on and where's the world going and then going and doing the homework and the research and talking to people and getting educated and then making a gut call with some data. Cause there's not gonna be a ton of data, right? If it's a new category that's forming, there's gonna be very little data or information about it, mm-hmm. but making a call and saying, okay, this is, this is a brand that, or a category that I think is going to grow. You know, collagen was a perfect example. Yeah. Um, you know, collagen has been around for ages. Um, and if you looked on Amazon four or five years ago, it was mostly geared towards geriatrics, um, older people who had joint health issues. Because there's actually medical science that collagen helps with joint um, um, repair and health. And if you looked at all the brands, the packaging and everything was geared towards older people. It was gross packaging. But we start to see, um, you know, you look at Google search trends and other data and you start to see more and more people talking about collagen a little bit. And this is 2016. Um, and so we made a, a bet that, hey, we think collagen is going to be a lot bigger than it is today, tomorrow. We thought it could be as big or bigger than something like whey protein. So it could be a really massive category. Um, 
And then, you know, what kind of, and then it's data points. It's going around and saying, okay, what are those data points out there? And, and you know, I'd go to dinner with my wife and a couple other couples. And two of those dinners, the uh, wife of, of um, the other couple uh, pulled out a stick pack of vital proteins collagen and said, my trainer or my Pilates instructor, um, you know, told me I should be using this because it's good for my hair, skin, and nails as well. So, you know, now the science on whether it's good for your hair, skin, and nails is there's, it's, it's two-sided, right? There's some that say yes, there's some that say no. But even if you believe it's helping, or you see, how do you afford not to take it? So, you know, we, we went out and, and looked for the best asset in the category, and we thought Vital Proteins was the category creator. Mm. Now, we didn't know if we were going to be right or not. Um, and then you meet the founder, Kurt, an amazing entrepreneur, and you see his vision, and you're like, oh, wow. And so that's what I enjoy the most is going out there, finding something that's not yet discovered, but has a few data points that you know, you can kind of base your thesis on and, um, and you can see it coming through at a grassroots level and yep. simmering below the surface. Yeah. Yep. Um, incredible things that you've, you've worked on with these. It's, it's hard in these consumer package brands. I'm obviously not involved in that space. Um, in, in places like technology where you can control algorithms and different things, it's easy to create some type of economic moat. Like why are there more companies that see the success of like once upon a farm, which is just super clean ingredients in a pouch and try and, and replicate that? Why haven't more done it? Yeah, like how do you build an economic moat around the, obviously timing is a big one, but how do you build an economic moat to stop competition from coming in and, and basically replicating that using some competitive advantage that they might have to- it, it's, it's hard, you really can't. See, in the yeah. old days, um, it used to be um, big advertising budgets. Um, so you, if, if you want to create a brand, you had to you have a multi, multi, multi-million dollar marketing advertising budget and you would go to- to Madison Avenue marketing firms that would put you on TV or radio or, or print. And a lot of challenger new and upcoming brands really couldn't afford to do that. Um, and I think with the emergence of social media um, and reviews and, and, you know, direct to consumer and Amazon, um, you know, a mom in Chicago can talk about her experience with the once upon a farm platform about giving it to her babies and their children where someone may be living in the middle of the country, hadn't heard of it, but because she is follow or he follows that person on Facebook or whatever you know, media outlet there is, um, they, that's like grassroots marketing. Mm. You don't have to pay for that. Now, yes, you can. There's digital advertising and all these things and, and, and acquiring customers. So the hard part about consumer is in a lot of ways, there's not a moat. Yeah. Your moat is basically being a category creator. So fast mover or the, or the fast follower, right? I think there's one or two. You know, And, and my belief is, you don't want to be investing in the 19th kombucha coming to market, right? It's too hard. There's too much competition for shelf space. Um, you know, it, it usually what happens in categories get popular and, and, and collagen's the same way. Price keeps going down and down. And I give Kurt a lot of credit because for the founder of Vital Proteins, because he went and built um, his own manufacturing early on so that he saw that, hey, listen, price, comp- this category's going to get big. There's going to be price promotion, you know, lower and lowering and lowering prices. But because he has his own manufacturing, he ultimately has higher gross margins than all the other competitors that are independent startups. Other people are using co-manufacturers. And so he has the ability to actually lower prices and have still a pretty healthy margin and have a sustainable business. So, and the other the thing, so category creator, fast follower would be the first part. Then it's, um, it's just, it's brand and team. Mm. And it, it, that I, I put team as like execution. Um, and then anyone can come in. And so I think that real fast, that first mover advantage is real because um, if you're in a category um, and you're the first mover, it's just such an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you, you've made some mistakes earlier on. Um, you're able to get that shelf space. 
people, when they think of collagen, like at least, and I use the example again, most people say, oh, vital proteins. Now I saw on TV the other day, there was a Dasani water has collagen in it now. So you think about how far this is coming in four or five years. It's and Dasani's not like Coke, isn't it? Right. And yeah. so it's just like, wow. Okay. So there's something there when you're seeing those commercials on TV, but consumer is very hard. It's, it's, uh, it's adult swim. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, all the kids out of the pool and time for the, you know, the grownups to swim their laps at rest period. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, it's, it is, um, it is a, a very hard, um, industry. Um, but, um, if you've got something differentiated, I think it's easier now than ever to start a brand because you don't have to have a multi, there's not the barriers to entry are a lot less, mm. um, and which makes it more accessible for anyone in anywhere in the world to launch a brand if they have a passion for it, or they think they have a good idea. You touched on being one of the first entrants in a category there. Uh, what else is part of your investment criteria when you're looking at being involved in some uh, amazing emerging brands? Uh, I think finding a category creator is something different, right? So something that's unique. And listen, we may not always get it right. We think a brand's a category creator and it really isn't, or we, we picked the wrong one. Um, you know, I think the founder. Mm. Um, you Back know, the jockey, not the horse. Yeah. Mm. And the horse has to be pretty strong and in, in, <laughs> in, in a, you know, very, you know, fit horse. But um, uh, you choose the founder, um, even with a, with a horse that's a little bit, you know, less. Um, it, and it's funny, pattern recognition becomes real. And so where I thought I was a good investor back in 2008, 2009, and then, you know, I started investing in consumer privates was, you know, 2010 call it. So before I started Kavu, I, before I took other people's money, I want to make sure that I did a lot of my learning and mistakes on my own money. (laughs) And I didn't feel comfortable yet or confident enough in terms of, okay, I'm ready. And it wasn't until 2015. And I, I, I had help where I brought, you know, um, industry vet and like Rohan Oza, um, into the mix early on, which was crucial because he had been in the industry. He worked at Mars and Coca-Cola. So he did big CPG, but then he worked at entrepreneur brand like vitamin water and, and, and helped build that and then helped on Vitacoco and pop chips and buy. So, um, that was invaluable in terms of helping kind of get up that learning curve quicker. Um, but parent recognition is real. And I can't tell you how many founders I've met since I started doing this. It's probably the best part of my job is sitting across from a founder and hearing, hearing their passion, seeing it, painting the vision, and then watching this and being a part of that journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not, the, it's not the pot of gold at the end of the, the rainbow as all of them kind of seek out saying, yes, I'm going to make a lot of money here. It is that journey. And it sounds cheesy and cliche. But when you think back, and I was just with um, uh, Kurt from Vital Proteins the other day, and we were talking about how fun that journey was and how there are good days and bad days and stresses and, oh my gosh, how are we going to figure this out? So as you look back, that's it. But I, it's, it's founder. Mm. And now you're not always going to get it right, but um, that founder, it has to be, or founding team has to be passionate. Mm. Um, you just, you can tell, like, can they solve, how do they solve a problem? Can they build a team? Can they be leaders? Um, and you know, I've sat in enough rooms now with people where I'm like, okay, this person is someone that I think will figure it out. We'll be back with the show shortly. Before we do, I've got a quick question for you. How would your life change if you had me and a handpicked team of high-level entrepreneurs working with you for not one month, not two months, but three months to take your business and brand to the next level? That's right, this February, I'm hosting my signature program, The Day One Mastermind, to help entrepreneurs like you 10X your income, influence, and impact. If you run your own business or are thinking about starting your own business, this will change your life like nothing else. 
I'll be sharing the exact secrets that have got me featured on more than 600 podcast, radio, and television shows, published in more than 10 languages, and connected with some of the most influential individuals and companies on the planet. Above all, I'll be showing you how to crack the code to scaling your income without scaling your workload. If you want to learn more about the Day One Mastermind and to hear from some of the people who have joined previously, go to thedayone.com, thedayone.com, or click the link in the show notes. And I mentioned a handpicked team of high-level entrepreneurs, but who are they, I hear you ask? These are people like Janine Shepard, who will be showing you how she's amassed almost 1 billion views online. She'll also be working with you to personally book, deliver, and leverage a TED Talk of your own. There's Josh Henry Hicks, who has facilitated almost $1 billion in ad spend, helped more than 40 brands get acquired or raise their next round of funding, and worked with some of the most successful disruptor brands in the world. Josh will be showing you how to sell, scale, and stand out on social media. That's just two of the special guests, and we've got a bunch more waiting to help you, and their mission is simple, to help you 10x your income, influence, and impact. There's more than $100,000 in value throughout this mastermind, plus some epic bonuses, not to mention unlimited access to me personally for three months. You'll even get a chance to be interviewed on my top-rated Win The Day podcast. That's right, the show you're listening to right now and given a bunch of assets that you can use to grow your brand. And if there's one thing you should know about me, it's that I love going above and beyond. We're even throwing in a special one-on-one game plan session, just you and me this December, to make sure you can build some momentum before the mastermind officially begins in February and start getting you some big results as soon as possible. So if you're ready to take your business and brand to the next level and want to join my inner circle, there's no better way. Go to thedayone.com or click the link in the show notes. But you better be quick because there's only 12 spots available and applications are closing very soon. One more thing, did I mention the results are guaranteed? That's right, results are guaranteed. For every single person who participates, I personally guarantee massive results or you can choose to have a full refund or I'll work with you one-on-one for free until you do. The choice is yours. You won't find a better guarantee than that anywhere on the planet and you'd never experience growth like you'll experience in the day one mastermind. Again, only 12 spots are available and applications are closing soon. Relationships have made all the difference in my life and I'm excited to give you an express path to achieving everything you want. Go to thedayone.com or click the link in the show notes. You'll be asked a few questions to make sure you're a good fit for the group and we'll go from there. All right, let's get back into the show. Uh, you mentioned vitamin water there. Obviously, yep. celebrity endorsements there. 50 Cent was involved in that one. Uh, I think it was Jennifer Aniston was involved in the Smart Water one as well. How come with so many celebrity endorsements, some brands really take off having a celebrity endorser at the helm and others completely, um, it seems to have no impact whatsoever with the evolution of the business? A couple of things. One, I think um, the consumer is a lot smarter. Uh, you know, it used to be that you could take Michael Jordan and put him holding a Big Mac and people are like, I want to go have a, a McDonald's Big Mac because Michael Jordan eats it. Um, I think this generation, I think millennials, Gen Z, I think they're, they're a lot smarter. They read a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, they don't see that as authentic as, it, you know, maybe in the days when, when, um, when, when we were growing up. Um, and I think from that perspective, um, it's, it's, it's got to be more authentic. And so I think it has to really work with, with the story. And I think 50 cent works with vitamin water 
because, you know, that changed the whole equity play, right? It was celebrities were always with procs, but they're getting paid cash. And it's funny, Rohan always jokes, like, you know, they say, wow, that was game changing, like revolutionary partnership, 50 Cent having his own, you know, um, flavor at the time. And he's like, it wasn't because I was anything revolutionary. It's like, we just didn't have the money to pay him cash, right? <laughs> he, he wanted cash. We had to give him equity because we didn't have money. And so it was almost, you know, a necessity they had to do that. But I think, um, I think it has to do with the celebrity too, um, whoever that might be. Like, if you bring him in too early, it, you don't want it to be known as that celebrity's brand only. And I think a brand has to exist on its own without a celebrity early on. Now, obviously there's examples where it works day one with a celebrity, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I feel like it feels forced. It feels inauthentic. Um, and also is that celebrity authentic in the sense, like if you bring a celebrity into a pet brand, do they even own a pet? Are they passionate about pets? Have they been known about being a pet lover for years? Like that adds to it where it just feels like, oh, you're putting a, 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 a well-known face on this brand to try to like accelerate it. Yeah. So, and I think the consumer is way too smart these days. And, like you can see that with pets and kids more than anything. Like yep. that, yeah, that authenticity there. And I think that, I think in the new celebrity is the new, is the, the influencer is the new celebrity. Yeah. Nano micro-influencers, the moms who were, you know, or the dads who were cooking a recipe um, with a, a product like, you know, a kettle on fire or whatever it might mm. be. Those are the new influencers because they have a following. And then it's these mini infernos that get started across the country. Yeah. Um, you do a lot of work in-house. You try to add a lot of value to these brands and things that you work with. Is there a particular success story or transformation that you've had with the brand that really stands out or that you're most proud of? Yeah, I think um, two come to mind, but I think uh, there's a brand called One Bar, uh, One Brands. Um, and it's funny, I never had heard of the brand. Um, and the pre-existing brand was called Oh Yeah Nutrition. And it had been around for literally 20 years. Um, and you know, had decent success, but hadn't, you know, it was kind of like, mm, kind of like stalled a little bit, but a little bit of profit, um, making okay money. Um, and then the founder, Ron, um, created uh, a product that, you know, he saw quest, uh, which became extremely popular and had incredible growth and he didn't like the taste. He thought Mm. the, there could be a better way to deliver, um, the protein with less sugar than, than what was being available. And so he created one. And Rohan and I, I remember sitting next to him, we tried it for the first time and we, we looked, we both looked at each other and he said, this is the buy of candy bars, of protein bars. Cause it tasted like a candy bar and it was 20 grams of protein, one gram of sugar. Yeah. So cleaner ingredients, better taste. Exactly. Match made in heaven. Exactly. But the, the problem we taught, I used the, the car analogy earlier on packaging. The packaging was horrible. It was horrendous. Um, but the engine was a Ferrari engine. And so, um, you know, we, we love that opportunity because one bar um, got pretty successful very quickly with, that, with the packaging working against it, not helping it. So in our mind, we're like, oh my gosh, this is easy. We can fix this packaging, like start activating it. Um, but, you know, you always have to have a conversation with the founder and make sure you're aligned before you go into a, to a, a deal. It's a partnership. It's, it's a marriage. And you want to have those conversations and be honest and open and, and transparent where we, we told him, Ron, your packaging sucks. And, you know, it's, it's but we're <laughs> very direct check us. inside? Yes, before, because <laughs> we want to understand, we want to make sure that he, and listen, change his heart. And he'd been doing something for 20 years the same way to come in and say, hey, you know, you're, we love your baby, but it could be a little prettier. Yeah. That's, and that tells a lot if how an entrepreneur responds to that because, um, you know, and, you know, I give him credit. Um, not Good only did he, was he willing to change that packaging, but he also uh, uh, was able to be honest with what his skill sets were and weren't. Yeah. And I think um, great founders 
understand when their skill sets, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. Um, and I have strengths and I have a lot of weaknesses. And so it's, it's trying to put yourself in a position to succeed, focusing on your strengths and not letting your weaknesses hurt you. And, you know, a lot of fathers can say they want to be, they want to be rich. They want to be famous. And I give Ron a ton of credit because, you know, we said before we went in, listen, we'd like to bring in a team and expand the team. We'd like to bring in someone to run the day to day. And cause he was amazing at innovation. He could create bars that were so great tasting. And so we brought in a, a management team, um, Peter Burns, an amazing operator in the CPG category, along with a lot of uh, some of the um, team that he'd worked with previously at Justin's. And um, listen, that, that brand went like that because of those changes. Um, and so we did that packaging in-house. Uh, I give uh, Stevie, we have an agency internally called Uncommon, um, and it does packaging work, design work, uh, billboard campaigns, um, social digital influencing, DTC Amazon work. Um, and I give Stevie Clements and her team a lot of credit for recreating that package in-house and, and doing it. So, I guess uh, now that you've got the runs on the board as far as uh, the shifts in packaging that you've been able to create and the explosive growth those brands have experienced as a result, any founder who doesn't recognize your expertise in that, it's probably a bit of a failed test from, from their perspective. It's that you are not aligned on vision and they're thus not a good, not a good fit for, for that partnership. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. listen, you always, I always love, um, you know, when you're in, in talking about a partnership and, uh, listen, that's the most outside of their family. It's the most important thing to them. It's their baby. Um, and you're talking about equity percentages and ownerships and all these terms and, and how's life going to change. And I think, um, you learn a lot about a person during a negotiation or a conversation about how is this going to work? What's, in, and I think I, I've, I think one of my strengths is that um, and you always get it right. I've made mistakes and, and, you know, you learn from it, but I think one of the strengths is trying to listen and hear what the entrepreneur, what's important to them. Mm. And then conversely, also understand what's important to us mm. and seeing if that's a match. And if it's a match, fantastic. And you're not always going to see eye to eye. And our way we work with brands is we want to kind of say, this is kind of how we feel like we would work together and make sure we get alignment. And then during the journey, all we want to do is push the thinking. It's still their baby. We are minority investors. So we don't have, you know, the, 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 the final say necessarily. So it really comes down to building trust between both sides in, as the foundation of the partnership so that you can have direct, honest conversations. And all it is is to push the thinking of the entrepreneur to, you know, give them another point of view from, don't forget, we've, we've had a lot of landmines and, and, you know, a lot of failures and, and a lot of mistakes so if we can help, and that was the whole idea of CAVU, right? CAVU stands for Ceiling and Visibility Unlimited. It's a pilot's term. It's the perfect flying condition. So our whole hope with that metaphor is that we can help make that journey a little smoother, like clear skies. And we've learned a lot from mistakes. And so if we can impart some of that, you know, avoid a landmine or two from these, to these founders, like we want to pass that on. But mm -hmm. we don't, we come with the perspective of we want to help them. This is our opinion, but it's your show. This is your baby. You, you're driving, you have the keys to the car, but that's how we would see it. And they digest that and they end up making a decision because they have better information and they've gotten other opinions from people. Yeah, much better foundation for that relationship. You retain the DNA of what makes the brand great. Um, we've mentioned packaging, we've mentioned founders and things. Yep. What, what other characteristics make a good brand for those who want to turn their concept into eventually a household brand? I think you have to be solving a problem. Mm. Um. You know, um, I think, I feel like where I've made mistakes in investing in brands is when there was just kind of a, a me too type of a product and it wasn't a category creator. Um, you know, I think, um, it has to solve a problem 
And it also has to draw an emotional connection with the consumer. Um, you need to have that consumer become brand evangelists. Um, you know, there's um, a, a shoe company that just went public called On Running. And we're not investors and we're investors in On. But, you know, was, and I use that example because I use the products. Um, and the people, it wasn't a very well-known brand, but the people who know the brand um, were enthusiasts where they own like six, seven pairs of the shoes. And I found I was that consumer. I kept every new style that came out, like I wanted to buy them. So I feel like you have to have an emotional connection um, with the consumer in some way. Whether it's the packaging, whether it's the mission, um, the problem you're solving, the founder story, you know, it's gotta be authentic. You, it, it, brands that feel like they're made in a lab don't draw that emotional connection. But the, the, the founders that are actually trying to solve a problem because they had a, a personal experience themselves um, and that's the reason for why they created this. To, and this goes back to what my grandfather always told me, right? Every good invention comes from someone's problem. So having a founder that has experienced this problem and wants to go and set up and trying to solve it, I think it, it's, there's no like secret, well, you have these two things and it's a go. It really is trying to see kind of that pattern recognition of those four or five combinate things and if a brand checks a lot of those, then um, I think that's something that we we usually get excited about. So the emotional connection, when you look at any type of package and it's like 50 years ago, Mary, our grandma, was was making this in a in a kitchen. Yeah. Is that exactly what they're doing? They're just trying to make that emotional connection? I think so. It's yeah. authentic. And it's yeah. it's um um and you know, I think I feel like Siete does that really well. Yes. Mm. Siete is an incredible brand, right? Mm. There's, there's the family and the story. If you read the first of all, the product is really good. Mm. Uh, you always have to have a good product, right? Or you're not gonna have trial or repeat business. But if you turn over the that bag of chips mm. and you see the picture of the family from you know 20 years ago and and all seven of them, and then they tell the story about the recipe. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you're then, rooting for their success. You're and, rooting for, and they have good products. Yeah. The packaging is is catchy. The name stands for something. Yeah. Um, that is that's an exactly right. Good yeah. good call out. And again, the fact that I've turned that over, and we can actually, and you you mentioned that brand, and I've actually read the whole back of that envelope. That's exactly right. Yeah, they've done a good job. Yeah, um, amazing. Um, would you ever double dip in the same category if it's something you're super excited about or, or really bullish about it? Um, probably not. Mm. Um, you know, when we invested in kombucha, um, you know, we had an opportunity to invest when the kind of the market started change a little bit where alcoholic kombucha came out, right? It was saying, okay, functional soda now is out. There should be functional alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were still investors in health aid. And so now like we wouldn't invest in two, um, things like that. You know, there's been a situation where we had vital proteins, which is pure play collagen, and then Bulletproof um, has some collagen. So that was something where we had to call, you know, both founders to make sure, hey, are you okay with this? Mm. Um, and if they weren't okay with it, then we wouldn't have done it. Mm. Um, you know, we want to be doing this for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I want to build an institution. You know, I want people when, if they're a food and beverage entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's like in tech when you have Sequoia and every, every tech founder wants Sequoia and Andreessen on their cap table. I think in food and beverage, like we want to be one of those couple firms that people seek out. And as we go into other categories and pet and, you know, human performance um, and personal care and beauty, um, we, that's our, that's our aspiration, right? That's our BHAG, right? Is, is trying to be when an entrepreneur is starting a company that they want to reach out and talk to us. Mm. And in six years, that's, that's already started to happen in some categories. Um, but, you know, we, we, because of that, we don't want to double dip. Um, and if there's ever any, a little overlap, right? We make sure that, you know, we have that conversation. Um, 
But it's, it's hard because if you believe in a category, I think there can be more than one winner. But then if they're sitting next to each other, in the sh- I mean, that's, you can't do that. And a perfect example would mm-hmm. be, um, we're um, a, a brand of ours called Poppy. Um, and Poppy was um, a brand Rohan, actually, my partner found on Shark Tank. Um, and it was called Mother. Um, and they, um, we partnered with them. We changed the packaging from a bottle to a can. Uh, we changed the name, came up with Poppy. And then we did the packaging in-house, uh, the Uncommon Agency. And, you know, this brand launched and, you know, last year is Poppy. And it's, 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 it's honestly the fastest growing beverage brand we've ever been a part of. Right. And, um, and, you know, there was other category f- um, brands forming there. Um, and Alipop and Culture Pop and, and Health Aid even has launched one. So um, we've had opportunities to, to look and we, we won't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good sign seeing competition. Because, you know, if you're the only brand in a category, you're going to start to look around and be like, well, why am I so lucky? <laughs> right. Or what am I missing? What am I missing? <laughs> right. And um, I think with um, a brand with Poppy, like we actually like seeing competition come in because it's validating a category. Yeah. It's not just the, the, the absence of bad. It's the presence of good now as well. Mm. And so if you can offer something, a, a probiotic, a functional soda with 40 grams of sugar instead of 40, you know, 20, 25 calories that taste good. Um, there's a category there. Um, and I think this could be the, the new pop, the new soda and the millennial, the Gen Z soda. And I get, um, you know, 14 year olds who will write me asking for poppy swag, um, because they love the brand. And that's, that's pretty cool that a brand is reaching, you know, 14 years old, but also I drink it. Yeah. So for sure. Big range, micro influences. You better get some swag. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that Nancy's now as well is doing um, probiotic, you know, um, which I often see next to good culture in the supermarkets and things. It looks like they're going all in on that probiotic thing. It's amazing to watch these trends that they can just take off so fast. Gut health. I, it's, yeah. it's, I don't think there was a lot of, you know, we, we, we're still living with the, the old school food pyramid. That food pyramid is, should be inverted. Mm. And, you know, I think um, it's hard because that what we've been told to drink and even milk, right? Look at the milk campaign. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, I had milk at my table every single meal. Um, I mean, my kids, I mean, don't really have milk. Um, and it's just incredible. Like what a marketing campaign mm-hmm. can do for a brand where it helps your bones. It helps you be taller. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm six, five and people always ask, well, how are you so tall? My mom's like, oh, like, he drank milk. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, well, actually, mom, no, it's not true. That's a marketing campaign that convinced you that that was true, right? Um, so, confirmation um, bias. I- exactly. So, <laughs> uh, we'd like to keep it pretty real on this show from a yeah. mental health perspective. Is there a particularly dark day that stands out, a particularly challenging day on this, this journey that you've had on the entrepreneurial side? I, I listen, I think um, there's been a ton. And I think that is the, it's, you have to expect that. And, you know, being an entrepreneur, is not for everybody. Um, and you know, it's, it's why, you know, I have a lot of friends that are extremely smart, extremely successful. Um, and they still have their nine to five. And I, I, it's, it's, wow, if this person were to leave and go on their own, imagine the real possibilities. And, and the thing is not everyone's wired like that. Um, you know, I left a very good job, um, when I was 30 because I didn't see the downside you know, and I did have fear. Maybe it was peak earnings at 25 and 28. And I was like, I don't know if I'll ever make this much money. Um, and I didn't care about that because I want to follow my passion and, and what I love to do. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's been a, a ton of dark days. I mean, you know, it's, um, you, you always move with a, a fast pace with, with purpose. Um, and I always go back to the Stephen Schwartzman book, 
uh, where he talks about if he hadn't moved with such purpose and, and intensity and time kills deals and all those, you know, analogies, you know, they talked about how they closed their first fund Blackstone, you know, um, on a Friday and that following Monday was black Monday for the stock. And he's like, who knows if Blackstone, we would probably not have been able to raise our fund. And you think about a weekend difference about moving forward. And so, um, it's not for everybody. Um, but for the people who have made that leap, um, you just have to not let the lows get too low, mm-hmm. the highs too high, and you got to stay as balanced as possible. And it's okay. You have a bad day or bad news. It's okay to, to wallow in it for a little bit and, and feel sorry for yourself. But, you know, whenever I failed in life, I, I kind of allowed myself, okay, one day of feeling bad for myself or why me? And, you know, how can this happen? Um, and the next day it was, okay, let's roll up the sleeves. Let's go chop wood. Let's get back into it and try to figure it out. Mm. Um, and that's a, I think that's a mindset that um, people can either, and it's growth, it's learning. Failure, I mean, it's interesting. We were told, I mean, I was told, you can't fail, you can't fail. Like you got to keep practicing. Practice makes perfect. No, practice makes progress. And my kids tell me that because I will say on the basketball court when they're practicing, hey, practice makes perfect. And I'm like, oh no. And they were like, they correct me. And I love that because um, people put too much pressure on themselves on every single little move. I get it. The stakes are high. You probably have left your job. You probably, it could be paycheck to paycheck. Um, it, it's painful. Um, practice makes progress. I love that. I think that's really cool. Well, I came from my children and yeah. which tells you how things have changed from when we were growing up and uh, it seemed more like be perfect, be perfect, be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times today, every good invention comes from someone's problem. Yep. Uh, for someone who has what they think is a great business idea, what's the best way for them to stress test that so they can hopefully build a sustainable business? I think you have to, you have to get feedback and you can't just get feedback from the people that love you. You actually have to put yourself out there and try to, you know, it's, all, it's like beverage, we say liquid to lips. If you believe you have an amazing liquid, you've got to, you got to get in people's hands because once they try it, if it's a good product, then they're going to, their consumption will continue. So I think being um, honest with yourself and, you know, everyone's taste preferences, everyone's view, that's what makes um, humans amazing because everyone's different. Um, And so not just drinking the Kool-Aid of this is amazing, but actually going out and putting yourself out there and taking feedback from a sample set of all different people. I think that's very healthy. I think, and also, you, you know, we live in LA um, and, you know, it's, it's la la land, right? And some things that are, that are very practical and everyday common here may not be applicable to other markets, even on the other coast. Um, so you have to put yourself out and saying, okay, is this a, is this a product for people who live in a bubble or is this something that is actually like mainstreamable and more and more people will realize that either this product is good or they need this product. They didn't know they needed it. So I think just having feedback and, being willing to go out there and, and, but now I just get the feedback, actually listen to it. Mm. And that's the hard part because you may not get back what you think you're to get back. Mm. And then what do you do with that information? Yeah. Like a $20 LA cold press juice might right. work as well in other parts of the country. There you go. Right. <laughs> and that's the hard part. And part of the reason I moved to LA was yes, better lifestyle for my family. And, and so my kids didn't have to grow up uh, throwing the baseball on the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> but also because I found myself on a plane coming out here 14, 15 times a year. Yeah. And the hard part is finding a brand out here because a lot of them will start out here. Um, which ones can transform across the country? Yeah, for sure. All engine running. Liftoff. 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 Liftoff.
Well, let's go move to the Win the Day yep. Rocket Round. Ten questions for some quick answers. You ready for this one, Brett? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Would it be the Wayne Gretzky quote from earlier or is there a different one? Yeah, I uh, I know it's boring and cliche. I think it's, I don't know if it necessarily inspires me. I think it, it guides me more than anything that um, as I'm looking as an investor, um, you know, I don't want to be stagnant. I want to be going, looking forward. Um, I also think, you know, um, I don't, I'll, I'll jumble the quote a little bit here, but it's something, the only things you will, you will regret in life are the, are the chances you didn't take. Yeah. And I think um, I, I, failure is okay. Like it's good to fail. Um, the things I regret the most in my life are when I didn't take that chance. Mm, okay. And I still think about those to this day. Uh, if I put myself out there, um, you'll never know. Yeah. And so having no regrets is how I try to live my life. Um, and if there's something I want to do, do it. Because if you want to do it in the moment and you don't, you're probably going to regret it. And those are the things five, 10, 15, 20 years later that you still remember is, is the regrets. You, you remember the failures, but you, you wonder what if, and it's mm. the worst feeling in the world to wonder what if. Have you heard of that quote that says, when I die, my greatest fear is that when I die, the person I am meets the person I could have become. There you go. You yeah. said it much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> yes, that will be my quote. Scary, isn't yep. it, when you hear that one? Yep. It's like, oh, better, make, better take the shots when we get them. Absolutely. Uh, number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Uh, I came in with a, a morning matcha. So again, <laughs> talking about being in LA now and yeah. you know adjusting to, uh, I'm, you know, uh, four or five years ago, matcha wasn't really around that much. Now you see Nike has a matcha color. Uh, morning matcha would yeah. be my answer. Love it. Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Ooh. Um, I, I think slow down. Um, you know, there's that old Ferris Bueller quote um, that dates, uh, I'm dating myself here, um, <laughs> but a very popular movie back in the, the late 80s. Uh, but it said, you know, you have to take a moment and stop or you'll miss life, right? And, and um, I think um, uh, my mindset had always been, okay, what's next? What's next? Um, and you have to enjoy those moments. Um, and don't worry about what college you're going to go to or what career you're going to have. Live in the present and learn to enjoy and be present more and um, kind of love where you are at right now. And, 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 and that would be my biggest thing is be more present and enjoy life. And don't think about tomorrow. Just it, when something good happens, celebrate it. Enjoy it. Be proud of yourself. Um, because I think in life, I think it just goes so fast. You got you to stop and enjoy it a little bit. Yeah, so true. Uh, number four, what book do you gift the most? Uh, Can't Hurt Me uh, by uh, Goggins? David Goggins. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think, um, you know, I think his story is is inspirational. If you see the, what, you know, he was overweight previously and how he just changed his mindset and said, I need to get healthier and Navy SEAL. And it's it's an incredible story. And, you know, when I watch his videos, um, you know, obviously I, I can't play him in front of my children uh, from the language perspective, but um, he is pretty inspirational and he motivates He's a very good motivator. And so I've given that book out. I've enjoyed it. Um, and I've, I've read it three times now. So um, I don't know. It's a fun, light book that kind of, you know, inspires you in, in the moment. Yeah, legit badass. Yep. Uh, number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? You know, I was always the tallest kid in, in my class. Um, I, was, I was a very good athlete growing up, probably because I was tall. So I kind of didn't like attention. And I was... Um, I think that made me hide a little bit how I dressed. Um, I, I wanted to avoid that because everyone would come up to, you, oh, you're a good athlete or, oh, you're so tall. Do you play basketball? You know, it was constant. I always stood out. I always had to, you know, stand at the back of the, the pitcher instead of the front. Um, and I think having that, um, that humility, that humbleness um, is, is life is gone, either failures or success. I think I've maintained that. And I think um, 
I think that is a superpower because I think as people um, get older in life and maybe find more success, I think they, they change. And I think growing up in the Midwest and because I was a little, so I'm very, it was very self-aware and also self-conscious. I felt different. Um, I think that enabled me to be um, humble and compassionate and empathetic um, as, as I've grone on and, and done more things in my life. Yeah, you can still see these values. That, that you, those values are still connected to everything you're doing from family and business and stuff today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number six, you've touched on this a lot. What's one thing you've learned about failure? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Separate episode for that uh, one. <laughs> to, to embr- well, to embrace it. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. And um, it's going to happen. And, you know, it's always darkest before dawn. Uh, it will pass. Learn from it. Mm-hmm. And you'll figure it out. I don't think you can succeed without failing. Um, and you know, and I failed multiple times in my life. Um, and I do remember one vividly, um, where I was back in the office the next day saying, okay, I talked about earlier, uh, let's, I'm going to figure this out. I didn't know how I was going to figure out. I mean, when I went to work that day, I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to solve this, but I'm going to go sit at my desk. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I already did that the night before. Okay. Let's just, let's just start getting in motion. Objects in motion kind of stay in motion. So, um, even if it's something small, um, but embrace it, it's, it's, it, part of any journey, any successful entrepreneur or company you've seen has had hundreds of failures and, and problems and issues. And it only makes you stronger. Yeah. They're not seen in the highlights real, are they all the behind no. the scenes? Everyone stuff. talks about their, their wins and some of the brands you mentioned, but mm. we've had a lot of failures too. And guess what? You learn more from those than you do from your wins. <laughs> yeah. Very <laughs> true. Uh, number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? That's easy. That's my grandfather. Mm. Um, he gave me such wisdom at such an early age. Um, you know, I'm a kid, so I think half the stuff probably went in one ear out the other. So I kind of want to go back and sit on that bench. And now that I'm older and get the parts that I missed because the parts that I did get are still very ingrained in me. Yeah. Yeah. When the student is ready, the master will appear type stuff. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? Wow. Um, Honestly, it's, it's being part of a team and it's, it's fine. I've played team sports. I've played individual sports like tennis. So Part of the reason it attracted me to tennis was it was it was all you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you won, it was because you beat you beat the other opponent. If you lost, well, you weren't that great that day, or he was just or he or she was just better than you. Um, and I think what I've the tool of research, I think it's just knowing that you can't all do it by yourself, mm-hmm. and to um, realize what your strengths and weaknesses are. Try to do your focus on your strengths, but then also don't let your weaknesses be you know kind of an anchor on your growth. And so surrounding yourself with great people and people who are smarter than you. Now you don't always find it um, in terms of, the, it's hard to hire, right? You never know until someone starts. But f- trying to hire people that are smarter than you is, is something I always try to do. And then also being able to let them run, run with it. You want to hire good, smart people and um, you don't want to be telling them what to do. You want to be asking more questions of, hey, you know, and th- they'll figure out how to do it, right? And I think that's the biggest uh, growing up I've done is saying, okay, it can't just be you on an island. You've got to be open to letting other people help. Mm. And um, I think that's been the biggest tool resource that's really helped us. Mm. Speaking of islands, what's one thing on your bucket list? Uh, I would, I'm, I'm from Cleveland. I'm passionate about my home. Um, I would love one day to, even if it was one tiny share to, to have a, a piece of ownership in the it was the Cleveland Guardians, or sorry, the Cleveland Indians. Now it's the Cleveland Guardians. Um, you know, baseball, uh, I, it's just, that's my everything. I mean, um, I, I, I actually still watch baseball on TV. Many people don't, and the game's is long. And I think for the younger generations, it's too long. 
Um, but that is, you know, as I was growing up, that was when things were tough. Like it was, it's funny, something like a sports team. And we talked about how in, in Rust Belt states, how sports are such a fabric of, you know, your, your emotional and your development and, and your society in your community. Um, but yeah, that would be on my bucket list one day. Yeah. In Australia, yeah. cricket games can go for five days. So, well, so then it's, that's, you can watch baseball. <laughs> you're, you're a pro at that. Bed. That's crazy. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Uh, I work out every single morning um, uh, before the day starts. So I usually work out at five or five thirty in the morning. Um, it's just getting the endorphins, releasing stress. Um, you know, you start with a, with a workout or a run or a walk. Um, and that kind of sets the tone for your day where you've already knocked that out. Everything else is, is, you know, you've got momentum behind you back in, uh, to kind of ease in through the day. So good. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Brett and his business. And we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can check out their website, kavuventures.com. Follow them on Instagram at kavuventures and connect with them on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Again, all that and more will be linked in the show notes. Brett, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brett. Again, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. And if you enjoyed the episode, hit that subscribe button and also leave a comment to let us know what your favorite takeaway was from this episode. That's all for today. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.